Today, I'm going to talk about growing a crop and generational increase. Growing a crop and generational increase. And you know, I told the 101 class that probably in the late 80s, I knelt on my knees and I prayed this prayer, Lord, reproduce us. I'm tired of going to place to place, ministering at conferences and retreats, and the people love it, but they seem the same every year. They seem the same every year. They're not capable of ministry. And you say that we're to be trained for the work of the ministry. And the fivefold ministry is supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I didn't like that. And, and I felt we were supposed to reproduce ourselves. And in 2014, Patricia Bootsma, a prophetess from Canada, not knowing that that had been my prayer for years, said to us in front of a bunch of people, reproduce yourselves. Continue reproducing yourself. And Dale Gentry recently said to us, keep doing it. Keep raising up sons and daughters and sending them out. And so sometimes they're to stay and sometimes they're to be sent. But Psalms 145.4 said, one generation shall praise your works to another. One generation shall praise your works to another. And that can go both ways. I can praise what they're doing. They can praise what we're doing. And there can be a, a multi-generational blessing. In 2 Kings 10.30, the word of the Lord came to Jehu saying, he was the king, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and you have done what is in my heart, your sons and daughters will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Most people do things for the moment. Many times we make decisions without even taking into consideration the long-term effect, how it's going to affect anybody else, what that's going to do to the people around us. But God does everything in a way that is for the long term. See, it's multi-generational. When we think of our own life, sometimes it's like the be-all and the end-all. You know, what's going on with me, me, myself, and I. And we might even do great things, and we might accomplish things, and people might marvel at some feat or fact of our life, but the truth is if we don't deposit something in the generation that follows us, we will fall far short of God's intended plan. And the older I get, the more I see this deposit thing and how it can continue going down from generation to generation to generation. So it's not a stretch to even see how four generations can be affected, just like the scripture I just read. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 33 says this, I don't just do what I like or what's best for me, but what is best for these, that they might be saved. That's the New Living Translation. So it means I'm going to be mindful of the needs of others and how others can be influenced. Several years ago, Easy used to regularly say when he preached, I'm not trying to build a church. I know a lot of pastors build churches. But in the world, he was a real estate developer. Many of you know that. Some of you don't. And he says, I built apartments. I built a lot of office buildings. I built ice skating rinks. He owned a couple of sports teams. But he said, God's not telling me to build a church. He's telling me to grow a church grow a church. And so you'll hear this testimony of some of our young people came in when they were 19, 18, 20, 21, and now they're middle-aged, but they grew up in church. And what they have grown, it is like growing a crop, really. I'm here. It is like growing a crop. Now, Easy's got a farming background. I do not. I was raised in the city. We were married a few years, and he was going on one of those speaking engagements, and we were driving down some country road, and I looked over, and I saw these ugly-looking animals, and I go, what are those? And he said, pigs. You've never seen a pig? And I go, not in person, just porky on a corton. Like, I, I didn't know what a real pig looked like. It was quite an ugly thing. And so he's got a farming background. I don't. 
But I really do think growing a church is like growing a crop. There's going to be some sunshine. There's going to be some rain. There's going to be some insect damage that sometimes eats away some of the crop you should have had. There will be times of drought. There will be plenty of work. It's labor intensive, but in the end, you will rejoice over every bit of growth that comes to maturity comes to maturity. And maturity doesn't have anything to do with how long you're in a place. It doesn't have to do with your age. It's about how much is it you get imparted to you. And so some of you have seen and known times in your life when you have growth spurts. And there's like a spiritual growth spurt. And it's like children, they, they grow. And you go, wow, they just sprang up all of a sudden. See, we can do that sometimes spiritually. And that is a good way to grow up. When I was little, some of you know this story, I was about eight to ten years old, and my grandmother lived in Kansas City, Missouri. My mom would send us up there for the summer. I spent three months in Kansas City, Missouri from an Italian family. My grandmother was an amazing cook, and it would bring my grandfather great joy if I'd eat a lot. And mama would cook, and then papa would watch me eat, and he would, the more I ate, the happier he was. And he'd go, Mary, look at her go, look at her go, like if, if I'd eat a second portion or a third. And I came back home. They put me on a plane. Three months later, my parents showed up at the airport. I was walking by looking at my mom and dad, and they passed me by. I had gained like 20 or 30 pounds as a little bitty girl, and they didn't even recognize me. And so there are different ways to grow, but growing up is the best way to grow, not the way I did that summer. <laughs> there are unhealthy ways to grow, and there are healthy ways to grow. And in a house where you're planted, and you have people who love you, you can usually grow up healthy if you'll just take it. Just as we develop in stages in the natural, so as it is in the spirit. But the goal is to keep growing until Christ is formed in us. Till Christ is formed in us. Galatians 4.19, Paul said, I labor, I travail in birth again until Christ is formed in you. You can sit in a church for years and Christ is not formed in you. Or he's formed in some places, but there's other areas where there's no Christ-likeness. And it's confusing to people. And so some people think it's enough if they're just informed. See, I'm informed. I go. I listen. I learn. I'm informed. I'm a Christian. I know some stuff. And some live a life that's reformed. It's like, I don't do the stuff I used to do. I used to be an alcoholic. I'm not, I used to take drugs. I don't. I used to cuss a lot. I don't. I, I'm, I'm different. I'm reformed. My behavior is better. I don't do the things I used to do. But see, the goal is to grow up until Christ is formed in you. And so really, reformed is not just a behavioral modification. It's made into something new. And so it's sad that some people can preach the gospel a lot better than they can live the gospel. And Easy used to always say, I'd rather see a good sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather see a good sermon than hear one any day. And so life, spiritual life, cannot just be commanded. See, I can stand up here all day and tell you things to do. Do you know that one time, 1991, somewhere around there, we had sold our house. We knew God said go into full-time ministry. And we had some speaking engagements that we were supposed to go to, and one of them was in Loudoun County. It's over by Washington, D.C., and we were there for 10 days, and Easy preached a lot, ministered on physical healing. I taught my series on emotional healing. We were there for 10 days, and we got to know the people. They had a board of deacons. They had a pastor and his wife. We didn't know it at the time, but the pastor and his wife had some intense marital problems going on. 
and it was affecting the people. And we came home, and we just really felt connected to those people. We knew we deposited a lot, and three or four months went by, and one of the men who was an executive with United Airlines and his wife said, we're coming to the Houston area. Can we come stay with y'all? And we go, sure. And so they came. They stayed in our spare bedroom. We hung out for the weekend. And at the end of the weekend, he said, we came for one reason and one reason only. We wanted to see if y'all were the same at home as you were in the pulpit, and you are. We wanted to see if you were the same at home as you are in the pulpit, and you are. Because some people get so used to seeing people preach one thing but live another way, they don't know what to believe anymore. They don't know what to expect, and they don't know what to trust. And see, what you want to do is sometimes I go, I don't know if I can preach this right this minute. I'm not living it. Now, that doesn't mean I can't preach on healing when I'm sick because the truth of God's word is real all the time, no matter what I'm going through. But there are some things that have a lot more power if it's something I've lived, if it's something I've let Christ be formed in me, if the word has actually become flesh in me. And so life, spiritual life, cannot just be commanded. It must be imparted. You can't give away what you don't have. I remember when we were in Ireland in 2001, we took 16 young people with us, and we were going to do ministry there. You know, people go, why? You know, I thought it was a Catholic country. Yes, it's a very religious country. 99% of the people do not know Jesus. And some of them even go to church, go to church after they've come out of the pub all night. And so it was crazy. There were suicides going on. There was a great hopelessness among the young people. And so we would minister out on the street. It was the first time Chris got some money for playing. He had his guitar case open on the sidewalk, and somebody came by and threw in a coin. I still have that coin today. And um, so it was, it was an interesting time. And while we were praying in a city square one afternoon, there was a group of us. And I think, I don't know if we had just worshipped or if we had just, somebody had just preached. I'm not really sure. This sort of belligerent guy started coming into our midst and sort of heckling us a little bit. And we were, Easy and I, what was I, I was whatever I was in 2000, how old was I, like nearly 50 years old, about 50. Uh, Easy was a little older than that. But most of the people were young. This guy looked like he was in his late 30s, but he was a buff guy. And he started heckling us, and we just sort of ignored him. And I had a camera that I was holding because I took all the pictures. That's before we had cell phones with cameras in them. And we actually developed film. And um, I had this camera I was holding, and this guy would walk up to me, and he kept like, looking like he's going to bump me, like he's going to knock it out of my hands. We had all these young 19, 20-year-olds. One of them took martial arts. One of them was real proud of all his bodybuilding. You know, one of them it, it, it was looking to, you know, be a special forces guy, you know, maybe if he could get in. And so they're like, you know, like, they don't want this guy messing with Pastor Lena. And um, so finally he bumped me, and he knocked the camera out of my hands. And the guys were ready to pounce. They were going to kill him. They were going to kill him. And Easy goes, don't move. Two words, don't move. The boys just stood at attention. They were just still. They were just quiet. You could tell it in their eyes they wanted to move so bad. They want, but if, 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 oh, why did he have to say that? They wanted to move something. This was their opportunity to protect me. This there was their opportunity to show themselves strong. But easy, don't move. And before the afternoon was over, there was a lot of lessons learned. They learned you don't have to prove you're a strong man because a weak man baits you. They learned that there's a time that it's better to use brains than brawn. They learned, listen to God before you act. They learned there's more than one way to protect a woman. 
They learned in ministry situations, there's usually a supernatural thing God's going to do, so expect it. And because they didn't move and beat him to the ground <laughs> and throw him as fast as they could into some chokehold, he acted out a little while. We just kept loving and we just kept acting normal. Before the afternoon was over, I was able to witness to him. He started crying. He was a former prize fighter that his life had gone south. He had gotten on drugs and he ended up crying and accepting the Lord that afternoon. And so sometimes, see, it's not what you preach. It's what you impart. It's the everyday life situations that people watch you. You know the deal about kids watching you and then they, they copy what you do? I have some good and bad examples of that. <laughs> My mother, when I was once young, I was not saved, and she goes, where did he learn that? Who taught him to say those words? I go, oh, I, I said it yesterday, and he said it today. <laughs> and so it's what we impart. A good father or mother will see their children's destiny before they do. I've told many people in this room, I see this on you, I see that, I see that you're, I see you can do that, even when they thought they couldn't do that. Easy told our son when he was 19 years old, son, you're going to be a pilot one day. Our son wanted to be a surfer and a party goer, and that was about, that was his ambition. And today, he is the head of aviation for a large company. But it took him about 10 years to realize that what Easy said was actually right. It wasn't just him trying to push him into this or that. It was what he would excel at and what he would love. We need to recognize giftings and callings in other people. See, we need to help them come into their place. If you're in your place, help them come into their place. And so God sees generationally. See, we need to start seeing generationally. Spiritual fathers uh, can speak to spiritual destiny. Spiritual mothers can speak to spiritual callings. And so what you deposit in the next generation will bear much interest. And so we've got a desire for the destiny of our children, whether natural or spiritual, to be greater than ours. See, you don't have to be married either to have spiritual children. You don't have to. You can be single and have spiritual children, people that you're depositing into. It was told Alan that he would be a spiritual father at a young age. He has fathered people without naturally fathering them. And so we've got to understand that we can function in such a way that we can raise up those after us who will be able to possess land that we can't possess. They will be able to do things that we've never done. They will be able to go places that we've never been. When Cammie was, uh, we, we had that party that we sent her off, and she was going to Madagascar, and a, a great man of God said to me, you must be really sad. I go, no, I'm really excited. He goes, but she's a pillar in the church. I go, but that's what we've prepared her for, is to go into her destiny. And so we've got to be able to relate, not just as parents, but also as generals in the army and send people out to, to take their possession, to take their assignment. And so Jess and Izzy are going to have a new assignment. And I'm, I'm sad, but I'm excited. And I can be both. I can be the mother, but I can be the general. And so we can, we can begin to develop that mindset for people. So my life should fulfill the calling that God has on me, but it should also be a bridge for other generations to walk on. See, it should also be a platform that other people can spring from, and they can go higher and further than they would have gone without my input in their life. And so basically, I'm saying some very simple things today. Number one, teach your children, whether they're natural or spiritual. People go, what are they learning in children's church? I go, well, in children's church, we have an hour. What are they learning at home? See, we love, Barbara is amazing. Sometimes the, what I see on the blackboard, I'm like, I didn't know, I couldn't name all those feasts. I didn't know all those patriarchs. But 
We can only do so much in an hour. What are you teaching them at home? And how are you living at home? What are they watching modeled? Number two, train your children. There's a difference between teaching and training, natural and spiritual. But more than that, impart your heart and your soul into them. Impart your heart and soul. Spiritual passion has to be transferred from one generation to the next for generational increase to occur. So I'm going to end up with a little uh, a short teaching. You know, I've taught before on garments in the Bible. And in the Old Testament, the garments were types and symbols of, of people's position in life, of their authority, of, of what they did. And the coat or the garment signified sometimes something about their authority or their identity. And Jacob gave Joseph's coat. The Bible says, and all the stories say, a robe of many colors. That's not what it is. It's actually, uh, many scholars think it's a, a coat with long pointed sleeves, but we'll talk about that another time. But if you know Jewish history and Jewish garments, and so it was something that signified that he was special, that he was, he was called out by his father for an honor that the others didn't. But the father's blessing was generational, and so he would decide who he was going to bless. Elijah was served faithfully by Elisha for years, and so Elijah was a spiritual father, and Elisha followed him around everywhere. But when he he decided to call him. He cast his mantle, M-A-N-T-L-E. I was reading some prophet on Facebook, but, you know, I have a great mantle from God, and it was M-A-N-T-E-L. And I go, well, maybe he has a great mantle, but he can't even spell it. And so that's a fireplace mantle. And so Elijah put his mantle, M-A-N-T-L-E, on Elisha. And he said, you're my spiritual son. You'll do twice the miracles. You'll have the double portion inheritance. And so in the tabernacle and in the temple, the first high priest was anointed with oil to serve, and it was poured on his head. It ran down his beard. Remember the scripture. It flowed down to the hem of his garment. But Aaron's sons, he was the first high priest, his sons were not anointed when they entered ministry. It wasn't until they wore their father's garment, the garment of the high priest that was passed to the son, then the anointing ceremony took place at that point when they put on the robe. And they would anoint the, the young man with the robe on. And so the oil would get on his garment. And then that robe would be passed on to the next generation. And the anointing would take place with the garment on. And so the oil that ran down the head, down to the beard, down to the hem of the garment would soak in even more. And so there was a saturation of the anointing oil uh, generation after generation after generation and not every generation had to start over, but they should start with more anointing than the previous generation started. And so you need to watch what you put on because it might be what you pass on. We need to watch what we put on. It might be what we pass on. And so maybe we can take stock and go, maybe there's some things I need to take off. Maybe there's some things I don't want to pass on. So what do I do? I take that off. I cut that out of my life. I begin to ask God to help me in that area. And so some things don't look good on us. We don't want to pass them on to our kids. We don't want to pass them on to the people we're discipling. If, if, if we say that you'll reproduce people, is there anything about you you don't want to be reproduced? Is there anything you don't want duplicated? Get it out of your life. And so today I just want to say that we want to leave an inheritance that's more valuable than money. And I didn't even know John was going to go in that direction, but there are things that are more valuable than money. See, we talk about leaving up, storing up an inheritance for our kids. You know, someone said, I'm really trying to save. I want to leave an inheritance for my kids. But see, more than money, what you impart into people 
whether they're your kids, your spiritual children, just people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis, you can impart before you depart, and you can impart the things of the Spirit so that you can actually reproduce spiritual things in people, and the anointing can get successively stronger and stronger and stronger. Stand to your feet with me. Father, I just thank you for the people in this room. Lord, we thank you for Izzy and Jess and their new endeavor, God. We just thank you, Lord, that we send people out to do various things, and we send them to take their place, God, the dream and the vision that you've put in their heart, God. We thank you that you give dreams, Lord, and then you tell us how to accomplish them. You give dreams, and then you give a strategy. We thank you for the dreams of every person in this room, God. They have dreams for their own life and then dreams for their children, dreams for those around them, God. We ask that you begin to work in us, God, everything that is needed so that we can take off the things that we don't want reproduced, and so that we can be strengthened in the area of things we can pass on. Lord, we want to put on what we can pass on, and we want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of our life. We want to represent you in all that we do, in all that we say, so that what we say at the pulpit, what we say in prayer, what we say when we're around people, we're the same at home. Father, we don't want there to be any duality. We just thank you for no double-mindedness, for a single-minded life, for a walk, Lord, that's straight, that's on your path, and we ask you to lead us. Those that are struggling, God, with anything in their life right now, we would just ask you to help them, God. Show them the way that they should go so that when you say this is the way, walk in it, it will not be a difficult thing, that you will also give them strength to walk in the way you say to walk. So, Father, we just thank you for your goodness today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you comfort us with your feathers. We thank you that there is a soft place in you that we can run to even when things are hard all around us. And in that place, you will speak to us, you will love us, and you will give us strength to go on. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said amen and amen.